Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. The odds of an entrepreneurial venture succeeding are, statistically speaking, not stacked in the founder's favor. This is something that Asif Pellet, founder and CEO of Minute Media, was well aware of when he left his career as a tech investor to found his own tech startup. Today, Minute Media owns six major media brands, is considered the third largest online sports publisher in the world, and serves over 350 million fans. On the podcast today, Asif dives into the work that he does at Minute Media and the evolution of the company. He also shares his personal entrepreneurial journey, outlining the mistakes and tough moments along the way. Tune in to hear his thoughts on leading a tech company, culture, talent retention, and more. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. Welcome to a new episode of uh, Future of Tech. And today I'm happy to have with me Asaf Peleg, founder and CEO of Minute Media. Hello, Asaf. Hello, hello, Vishai. Uh, thank you uh, and good to be here. Can you, in, in like a layman's word, explain what Minute Media is all about? We have developed or created a platform, technology platform that allows for the creation distribution and monetization of short form sports content. So the idea be- behind it was that when we started the business 10 years ago was that digital content was shifting and transforming. And we felt back then that global sports content was going to be one of these significant categories that was going to shift in the way users engage with the creation and consumption of sports content online. And we felt that if we bring a tech and product approach to it, we could really innovate in that space and take a market share from the, the I would say, the legacy uh, publishers and media companies that were covering sports. So there are many questions that we'll, we'll try to understand more about what, what does it mean, content, and, and why sports, and, and does it really matter if it's sports or not, and, and why video? Yeah. Uh, but before we go deeper into what you're doing, can, can you share a bit about your personal history? How did it all started? Like, what did you study and, and uh, what, are you coming from technology background? There is no connection whatsoever between my background and what I was doing before Minute Media and, and what we do at Minute Media. So uh, other than the fact that I'm a huge, like very passionate sports fan, 
that's the main thing I brought to the table starting Minute Media. Uh, before that, to your question, I did my undergrad uh, studying law and uh, economics in Tel Aviv University, and then I did MBA at Wharton in, in the States. But for over 12 years before starting the company, I, w- I used to be a technology investor. So I, I worked with leading early stage VCs and late stage private equity. I did MA for a few years with Cisco in the US and in Israel. So really doing technology investing for the most part before starting the, the business. What led you to this moment in which you've decided to jump from the VCC and the M&A of, of a big corporate like Cisco to, uh, to found a new company? It's a good question because usually it goes kind of the other way around where you do something on the kind of the tech, the operational side, and then later on in your career, trying to maybe move to the investor seat. So my order was a bit uh, kind of weird, kind of starting the other way around. I loved being a technology investor, but then I felt at some point that, okay, it's amazing. I love it, but that that cannot be the only thing I do throughout my entire career. Uh, and I felt that uh, maybe to, to become a better investor over time, I should also move to the other side and feel the pain of building a startup, of being an entrepreneur. I think that was the kind of the initial motivation. I, I wanted to try something new. I realized that it was going to be very, very hard because as an investor, you see so many failures and a bunch of success stories. And you understand that the stats is not necessarily in your favor. Number one guideline personally before starting the business was at least I want to do it in an area that I really, really love, which is sports. I said, if even if I do not succeed, at least I try to enjoy the journey. So, so that was where the initial motivation. You've started the company. Why is, is it a technology company in your perspective or is it a media company? How, how do you? It's a very good question. And admittedly, you're, and unfortunately, you're not the only one still asking that question. To some extent, it's, it's actually both. So the way we look at media, it's a technology and content company. And to really succeed in our space, in what we do over time, we have to have an amazing kind of tech side of things. And we have to have an amazing content and media side of the business. And there are very, very few companies in our space globally that have both. Usually our competitors are traditional content companies, the likes of say ESPN or Sky Sports, or there's a bunch of just tech only companies in that space, but ones that don't have the global content masses that we have managed to build over time. So it's both, but we feel that the tech is the number one driver, right? We have nearly 200 people here in Tel Aviv, mostly in tech, and really being the only company in that space globally that has such a unique technology platform, technology approach, Israeli DNA, and a big uh, tech team. Try to educate me a bit more. So everybody yeah. knows YouTube. Everybody understands, you know, there are, you know, media channels, as you've mentioned, you know, ESPN and others. So can you share a bit more about what's so unique or why was it needed? The initial hook, the initial trigger for the idea back in late 2011, when we started the company, was that assumption that over time, sports content was going to be moving from the creation by traditional journalism to global fans that bring their passion using technology and replacing traditional journalism over time. So that's the first point, the first trigger of starting the the idea and the business, combining technology, global reach, and tapping into the passion of sports fans to create very engaging content at a relatively low cost, high quality, replacing traditional journalism. That's, I would say, the first unique 
driver of the business over the first few years. That's really been helping our growth between 2012 and 2016. And then we made another big decision, which is to take the platform that was powering our own sports content brands and offer it to other traditional media companies and publishers that want to try and achieve the same experience around sports and culture content on their websites, but they lack that tech and entrepreneurial capacity that we're having. And then now if you look at our business, we have our own content brands like 90 Min for Global Soccer. We have amazing content brands in US sports, in esports that we own and everyone knows. But then we also have dozens of other traditional publishers and media companies that use our tech platform to achieve the same thing on their website. So it's really leveraging the same tech helps us gain significant scale over time, not just relying on content. So walk me through a use case. Who will use your platform? Let's take sports betting. It's a very big space, really taking off over the last several years in the US. There is more and more betting operators globally, but especially in the US. And take a company that hopefully everyone knows called FanDuel, one of the, the major fantasy and betting operators. And what they want to do is really scale their sports content operation to try to tap into millions of casual sports fans that could turn into betters. And the way for them to do it is really to use our tech platform and content creation platform, really tapping into sports fans to come and create content and then convert other consumers of that content into potential sports betters. So really to do it, you need a deep tech on the content creation, distribution, and consumption side that a company like FanDuel is less equipped to kind of do on their own. So they're using our platform to achieve that. Take a company like USA Today that want to uh, uh, tap into, I would say, younger, shorter, mobile and video first sports content and the way for them to do it, really coming on top of the content that they create more traditionally is using our technology, tapping into our creator base and using our platform to enhance their, I would say, coverage of that space on their website. So, so just a couple of use cases of large companies in the US using our platform. And from the other side, who are the uh, content creators? Are those, you know, people that are going to watch a game and then... Uh using their mobile, you know, taking a few pictures or taking a short movie and then uh, uploading it to your platform or, or something else? When we started, it was predominantly kind of casual fans. And we were focusing on fans coming and covering the games before and after. So not necessarily taking clips of the game. That's For that, you have to own the rights. We were focusing on any type of content across text and then interactive and then video and then audio, but predominantly before and after the games. It started with fans, but as the company was growing, we also started working with more professional creators, with more professional, I would say, editors. And then over the last few years, we also started working with big athletes. We have acquired one of the top sports content brands in the US called the Players Tribune, a company that started by some of the top athletes in U.S. sports across NBA, NFL, MLB. And now we have many big name kind of athletes coming to our platform and also creating content with us. So the content will be what? Statistics? It will be, give me an example about what will be created and who will consume it. So 
obviously when I'm, I'm watching a game, I can understand it. But before the game... Could be anything, including, let's say, pre-match analysis and post-match reports. Short form videos of fans analyzing the potential outcome of a game or debates between the fan bases. Or you'll see, again, athletes sharing very personal stories of why they move from one team to the next. You'll see uh, fans analyzing breaking news and transfer rumors and so on and so forth. As I mentioned earlier, you have more and more creators creating very engaging content around sports betting, sports prediction, fantasy sports, stuff that you could also find across, I would say, social platforms, but in, in a consolidated fashion, very high quality, curated, so everyone can come and create, but also internally, we have a team that's going over the content before it gets published for, from a consumer standpoint. We have hundreds of millions of fans consuming our content, but we also ensure it's kind of original, high quality, validated before it gets published to the broader fan base. A question from a different angle. Why do you think people are so keen and so crazy about sports? What drives the, uh, the, the behavior behind it? Even though I've been in that business for over a decade, no one has ever asked me that interesting question before. It's almost impossible to define it. And obviously, I've been a very big sports fan for a couple of decades before starting the business. But in the business over the last 10 years, it continues to amaze me on, on every weekend, just seeing the many, many, many millions coming to consume so much around every game. And maybe it's impossible to explain. Maybe that's one of the secret sauces. It's like religion in a way. It, it literally is. It's an invention that keeps on attracting literally billions now because of the digital platforms and this, the very big success of the mega franchises like the Champions League and the World Cup and the NBA Final and the Super Bowl. Even over the last 10 years since starting the business, because there is just more platforms to consume, it continues to amaze all of us how sports is becoming more and more and more popular and widely consumed. It's actually bigger as a phenomenon now than it was 10 years ago when we started because of all of these kind of new platforms, leveraging the passion around the game. Was your own passion to sports something that led you to, to deal with sports as the first startup or activity in media? So I don't think there was a powerful strategic rationale behind our idea 10 years ago. It was more kind of the passion around sports. Admittedly, that was the excuse for starting. And the other thing that was very interesting was that 10 years ago, there was no sports tech. So there were very, very few venture-backed companies in our space. So that was the other motivation. We felt it's a huge market, huge global user base, but relatively no competition from new tech companies. We felt it's a very compelling combination to start a company. Because of the love for sports, we could find people to join us. The other thing is that, yes, I wanted to do something in sports, but Israelis in Israel were so bad when it comes to sports. I mean, professional sports, we don't have uh, anything to offer for the most part on the professional side. So that was my only shot, my only chance to play in that space. Now, today you are a unicorn, but at the beginning, can you share some of the initial steps that you've made at the early stages of the company? I would say probably a couple of things, right? So when we started building the team, I'm sure you hear it from many entrepreneurs that just people is key and uh, your partners when you're starting is, is really key. I think but the one thing we really focused on from day one, we realized there was our secret sauce was the passion for sports combined with technology. So in addition to building a strong kind of tech team, 
we made sure we were hiring a significant team of global passionate fans. So if you came to our first office, it was actually in the Wix offices back then in Namal Tel Aviv, kind of our friends, they were kind enough to give us a space. And if you entered our space, you would see people and kind of sports fans from Spain and France and Mexico and Germany and Asia, and all of them working from all these countries, Olim Chadashim in Israel, really working with us from day one. And I think that's something we got right early on. We realized that to build a very successful global company in that space, we could not just build an, an Israeli tech foundation. We needed to be global from the DNA, kind of from the initial employee base and not just after a couple of years. And I think that was the unique factor from day one. It was a very colorful, very multinational. And also, I'm not just saying Israelis and Americans. We had 15 different languages in the office after one year. And I think that really affected the DNA and our perspective and our global orientation from very early on. When you look at the company today, sports today is also relates to video games and, and, and maybe, I don't know, trivia games. Do you see this as an angle that you're going to pursue as well? Video is a very big space for us, right? So video, uh, when we started a business over 10 years ago, there was very little video in publishing in content. It was text and desktop. Then five years ago, or six years ago, seven years ago, it shifted to mobile. And the last four or five years, video is the big thing. And right now it accounts for over half of our revenues coming from video advertising. So no doubt that video is huge for us. We'll continue to be big. We also have our video tech team in Tel Aviv. We have built our proprietary video system for creation and scalable distribution of video content. We believe that connected TV, kind of next generation convergence of kind of web and linear TV in video is a significant trend that we're also exploiting here. So, so video is a big thing strategically for the next couple of decades in our space. Also, the fact that we extend from sports to other categories like entertainment and culture, leveraging the same platform. There as well, we feel that video is really, really key. Trivia, I would say, put it in a broader category of gaming. So there is gaming, there is betting, there is fantasy. Now everyone is talking about NFTs and stuff. Kind of all these like very cool interactive new forms of interacting with fans through content and products, I believe is, is interesting for us. That's an area we've been playing in and, and I think we'll continue to see a lot of innovation in. To me, it's not as strategically important as video is, but definitely as a category is, is another area of focus for the business. Obviously, everything you're doing has a lot to do with data and behind the scenes yeah. data and everything that uh, is related to maybe insights from the data. Where were you standing there? Because the way we monetize our platform through advertising, we have a global, direct, and programmatic sales team all over the kind of the universe selling to the major sponsors, advertisers, brands in that space, data for them and for us is really, really key. And because we engage with many, many millions of users on a daily basis, we feel that we have a very strategic position in kind of the value chain interacting with the fan base to be able to learn a lot about them. Uh, obviously, the web is now transitioning from third-party data to first-party data. And the way we see it, the fact that we're kind of an Israeli tech company first puts us in a very strategic position to build a very significant data play. We have our BI and data team. That's a space we continue to hire many talents into, especially in Tel Aviv. And we feel that in two, three, five years, data is going to be a, continue to be a big uh, part of our driving forces. 
You've mentioned that you've expanded into not just sports, into entertainment, and you also mentioned culture. So I can understand, yeah. you know, sports fan. I can definitely understand people that are uh, enthusiastic about entertainment, but uh, culture seems to me like uh, something that is disappearing, no? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it could be. I, I, I cannot disagree. And I guess, I guess it's a question of how, uh, how you define culture. I think especially in the U.S., There is this ter- terminology or term called kind of sports and culture. And, and the, the way it's defined in the U.S. is athletes are so influential. You see the big NBA players, NFL players. They're also considered cultural leaders. When you say culture, it could be related to music, to hip hop, uh, to fashion. I think it's the culture in a broader sense. And it's so complementary, so synergetic to sports. It's the same fans, the same creators, the same athletes, the same influencers. Which is why it's a very natural extension, and that's the way they define culture, maybe slightly differently from the way you and I uh, define it in, in, in Tel Aviv. Now tell me a bit about your business model. Was it uh, the same since the early inception of the company, or was it changed? How did you uh, decide on how do you monetize your assets? Because we were backed by blue chip venture capital firms from early on. We had the luxury of not having to monetize the business over the first maybe four or five years. And only, you know, maybe 2015, 2016, we started monetizing. And from day one of our monetization effort, we we're focusing on selling through advertising. There are other interesting revenue models in our space, but we feel that they're relatively niche. The only significant multi-multi-billion dollar way in the market to monetize in our spaces through advertising, it's a very difficult, I would say, mission to build your own direct sales team focusing on advertising, but we feel that we have been able to do it successfully. And that's the way we monetize it to the extent that not only on our own content brands, we sell advertising, we also use our success in that space to monetize for the other partners that use our platform. Now, I'd like you to share some of your uh, personal background uh, with me obviously with our audience as well. If there are entrepreneurs out there that are uh, thinking about starting their own company, they don't have the, uh, the background of yours, you know, of uh, venture capitalists that saw so many companies either succeed or, or fail. What will be your two or three tips from you to them before they uh, start? So hopefully it's not kind of a trivial answer. Uh, I would say number one, again, for me, subjectively believing is passion. So really being very, very passionate about, about what you do, to me, is even more important than the size of the market. And it's really have an extreme kind of inherent passion in you for the idea. I would say the other thing is, obviously, as Israelis, make sure you're using a significant technology angle in a way that's not being used by the traditional competition in your space. So especially, again, I think it could be trivial for many other segments, but for us, In media, in sports, there was very little tech and innovation. When we started, and for us, it was always a key, key principle to make sure that wherever we go in our space, we use a lot of tech and innovation. And I think that's kind of the other thing. So really tech and, and then being passionate and then being very, very creative from a tech and innovation standpoint. Then the third point is really the people that you're starting it with. Admittedly, at Minute Media, we were... Three of us starting the business, but it's only myself who had stayed. So it's not the most successful story from a founding team standpoint. 
I think that we've managed to replace it over time and we have an amazing leadership team. But if there is one thing I really recommend and I wish I did differently is really make sure that the founding team that's starting the business is there for a very long time period. I think that's another big thing that we could do better at. That's my third. And can you share some mistake that you've done during your uh, journey? One thing is kind of my previous point, which is on the founding team side. I think that there was something probably less, maybe less mature in who I was when I started a business in understanding how to build a partnership with co-founders, which is one of the reasons he does not succeed. So that, that was one mistake. I would say maybe the other thing more recent, the last few quarters, as the world was starting to get out of COVID gradually, COVID was very tough for us at the beginning because for over six months, there was no sports. There was no Olympics and no world. Everything was postponing sports in 2020. It really affected the business badly, but then we bounced back and had an amazing couple of years. I think it made me maybe complacent. I started assuming that I could manage that very significant business and, and big global team from Zoom from London. Last year, when people started traveling again and meeting again, it took me too long to understand, to realize that, yes, the world has changed, but I also have to get back to basics. I have to I did not spend enough time, maybe the last couple of quarters, going back there to just meet more people face-to-face and fill the team again. I was assuming the world was moving fully to Zoom, and I think I was wrong there. No doubt that a lot of it is moving remotely, but it has to mix with being on the ground. I think that's something that took me a little long over the last few quarters to grasp. So that's another mistake that maybe I have a lot to learn from going forward. How do you find your work and life balance? How, how, how are you able to make sure that you have enough time for both? Because I chose to start our business with probably my number one hobby. I find kind of ways to mix them up and it makes it easier for me, right? So for instance, I try to go to a football match every weekend and then I can argue that, you know, I work and have fun at the same time. But I would say in all seriousness, I would say the first four or five years, I was not doing a good job on this front. I had two young kids and I was still, I would say, stressed with the business and just working 24-7. But I think it has changed over the last few years. I've learned that it's a lot more effective for me to be a lot more balanced. So I would say I take time off. I try to significantly slow, slow down over the weekends. I also share the same message with my team. We are feeling that we're here for the next couple of decades. It's a marathon. I'm not shying away anymore from standing in front of the entire company, hundreds of people, and encouraging them to take time off, to turn their phone off. So I think there is something in the mentality, the DNA of the company now, where people work really, really hard, but they also have fun. And I think finding more opportunities and ways to balance it, it's again, easier said than done, but I feel that that's something that I'm a lot more focused on personally and for the entire team over the last uh, four or five years. Being a CEO is a lonely position. So obviously you have a team and founders and, and people you can uh, talk to, but at the end of the, the road, you need to, to take a decision on your own. Whom are you consulting with? What are you doing when you need to like uh, take a tough decision? So I try to surround myself with a really strong and empowered team. And I think we have one in place. So really trusting that wisdom of the team for the most part. That to me is actually the key thing. And then when it comes to making the lonely decisions, 
I have other friends, CEOs, entrepreneurs, consultants, but I also tend to kind of trust my gut feeling. So if I'm debating between kind of multiple options, I actually feel comfortable more and more over time to use my intuition and gut feeling if it's only me at the end of the day who has to make that kind of lonely decision. I'm trying to reach out to the less rational parts in me and listen to them as well. How do you see this market of content continue to evolve? COVID obviously left a mark and, and now people are coming back to, to sports events, as, as you said, and you're experiencing growth, but you see the, as a whole, the market is changing? Yeah. So I think the market is changing a lot, but the market is not easy for tech companies and ventures to, I would say, scale and do well. In it. As I mentioned earlier, it's a huge space, but the fact that you have the likes of Facebook and Twitter and TikTok in that space means that many traditional content companies or publishers or media companies will probably continue to struggle in that space even though content in sports and in general will continue to shift and transform. I think it's becoming more mobile, more video-oriented, more interactive. Uh, you'll see new technologies like, say, blockchain and NFTs underlying new forms of content. You see new technologies empowering new types of kind of next-generation creators. But then you add it all up, and I think that the traditional content companies will really struggle to, I would say, adjust and cope and scale with some of these changes. And as I indicated earlier, to really succeed in that space, not in a couple of year time, but in the next couple of decades, you have to be able to build a very strong foundation as a business, as a team on the technology front and the content front. You have to be an amazing technology company and content company under one roof. And very, very few cultures are able to do both over a long period of time. So I think that's, that's the way at least I, I see it. Imagine the fact that uh, you are in this journey for several years, and obviously there were, you know, very great moments. Can you share one tough moments that you were like uh, sitting there and saying, what am I doing here? Why should I continue? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I have to be careful sharing it with the world, but, but I'll, I'll try to keep it personal. So I would say, there have been a bunch of really, really tough moments. I don't think that any of them really made me ask why I was there, but some of them really, really, I would say, made me lose a lot of sleep. Again, as I said, COVID, which I think was tough for so many businesses, but the fact that sports stopped, that was the toughest in, in, in so many ways. How to really continue to grow a business or even survive in a world with no sports? Who could even imagine or envision something like it? So I think that's that. And then I would say the first couple of years were really tough because we are very enthusiastic about the idea. But then as we're trying to build a business, we realized it's actually a tough space. Not too many companies are able to raise money. VCs were not too enthusiastic investing in our space in the first few years. So I think that's another one, really raising money and establishing credibility and gaining traction with investors the first couple of years was tough because the space was non-existent. VCs are used to investing in more traditional technology areas or new technology areas, but not in that space. So I think that was another uh, big one the first few years, and we are not sure we're going to survive it uh, back then. Only in 2014, 2015, after three or four years, we felt we had enough to continue to scale and also gain more access to more capital over time. Obviously, as all of us, you're experiencing the battle for talents. How or what? I'm not sure the secrets, but how... What's your, let's say, 
ways to attract talent? How do you make sure that people stay with the company and make sure that they have like a future for the long run? It's a great question. Obviously, the last couple of years has been tough. So I would say maybe two things. A, for sure, people want to join successful companies. So the fact that we're chosen as the, I don't know, most promising tech company last year by the kind of the Calculist annual survey. And, and I think just being successful as a business is one thing. But then to me, there is actually focusing on the culture. Yes, we can always pay more and throw more parties. But I feel that there is one thing that's quite unique about Minute Media, which is we have, I feel, a very colorful, engaging and sticky culture. We have many, many, many people who have been, been with us for many, many years. It probably has to do with the initial passion for what we do. So I think there is something special about that, which to me is the number one reason for the very high retention rates. And again, we have to be very competitive on any other KPI or metric or salaries. But to me, it's the culture that hopefully sets us apart over time. That's what I'm focused on almost every day to continue to attract, but also retain talent. This time culture, completely in a different perspective than the one we've uh, spoke about earlier. Um, When you say culture, what does it include? Putting the love for what we do and passion for what we create ahead, even slightly ahead of kind of the business and also caring about who we bring to the team and and how we have a lot of fun together over, over time. Now tell me, do you feel that you personally or the team changed since you experience big success and become, as, as you've just mentioned, you know, this uh, new golden boy in the, in the neighborhood? Thank you for the term. I'll take, it as a, I'll take it as a compliment. I appreciate it. I think none of us, I, I think to say that I've not changed would not be true. Actually, maybe a little more humble. It's been so difficult to get to where we are right now, but it can also shift, shift and change very quickly, very rapidly can change tomorrow, right? So if anything, it, it probably taught me not to take anything for granted because it looks very shiny from the outside, but there's so much work and effort and roller coaster and ups and downs put into it. So just to stay kind of grounded and understanding that I've achieved nothing if we sit here in 10 years and we do not continue to grow in so many ways. So maybe that's the way to look at it. It's great. It's great. And thanks for sharing. Asaf, it was a pleasure. I think uh, it was really uh, insightful understanding how and what you're doing, but also uh, for me, a great experience to learn the behind the scenes about the culture and the way uh, you lead the company. So thank you for uh, this episode and and hope seeing you face to face next time you're around. Definitely. Thank you very much, Avishai. Always a pleasure. Uh, appreciate the questions, especially the very, very personal one and the culture-oriented ones. And definitely, let's, uh, let's also meet face-to-face. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.